Hey y'all, thanks for tuning in to this week's recording of Redeemer Church of Knoxville's Sunday Sermon. We're really glad to have you with us because we know that there are a million different podcasts that you could be listening to right now. So we're thankful that you've chosen to spend some of your day with us. We hope that this recording will be an encouragement to you and that God, by his spirit, will use his word to remind you of Jesus' love. If you would like to reach out to us, we would love to hear from you. To do that, please email us at office at redeemerknoxville.org. We also want to give a quick thank you shout out to Evie Andrus and Parker Green, who you hear playing our awesome intro and outro music here each week. Lastly, if you'd like to support Redeemer and her mission to Urban and University Knoxville, please visit www.redeemerknoxville.org and look for the little give button in the top right corner. Thank you so much, and here is this week's sermon. You can follow along with me in your Bible or in your bulletin. Uh, If you're at home, you can download it. Maybe you have your own Bible there at the house. Uh, We'd love for you to join along if you're able to do that. I do want to welcome you to Redeemer this morning. It's great to have you with us. Uh, My name is Sean Slate. I'm the pastor here. And we are so glad to have you because we know that there are a million different things uh, that you could be doing this morning. For instance, you could be at home just incredibly disappointed that 2021 does not look very different from 2020. Uh, You could be at home watching Meet the Press. Uh, You could be watching TikTok videos, as my uh, girls love to do. Uh, You could also be at home just hoping and praying that the sound text will mute my microphone this week uh, so that you don't have to endure my singing uh, as the only voice that was on the live stream last week. Uh, And so... uh, That would be helpful for me as well, and so I've just been mouthing along all morning. But anyway, I do want to thank you for joining us this morning, and whether you're here with us on our little corner here in the fort, or whether you are joining us from home, we're really glad you're here. And the reality is that there really is nothing better uh, that you could do with your time uh, than worship Jesus and to consider uh, his claim upon your life and to think about the beauty of his kingdom. And so I do want to thank you for joining us this morning. Welcome to Redeemer. What is Redeemer? Redeemer is a church. And uh, what that means is that we're a community of people who are trying to learn how to love God, and we're trying to learn how to love our neighbor. And fundamentally, uh, what we believe is that Jesus is God. He's the Messiah. And he's entered into the world uh, to die for our sins and to reveal the love of the Father. So every week as his people, uh, we gather together uh, to worship him so that we might learn to rest in the love that God has for us in Jesus. And as we rest in his love, we then become a people who delight to get together with one another. And we sit around fire pits together, we get on Zoom together, we get on the phone together, we talk to each other, we read the Bible together, we pray together all in order to remind one another the great love that God has for us in Jesus. And so as we rest in his love, as we remind each other of his love, we then become a people who delight to gather together in service so that together we might reflect the love of God to our family and to our friends and to our neighbors who are here in Urban and University, Knoxville, and hopefully in some way it would spill out into the entire world. Right, that's who we are. We're a people who are trying to learn how to love God. We're trying to learn how to love our neighbor as we rest, as we remind, and as we reflect. And so to help us do that during this season of Epiphany, we are returning to our series on the kingdom of God as seen through the lens of the gospel of Mark. And so this morning, what I want us to think about is the kingdom impossible, all right? The kingdom impossible. So with that in mind, let's look together. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. 
And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And said to him, you lack one thing, go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or lands, for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Would you pray with me now for the teaching? Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, we are thankful that you love us enough to reveal yourself to us in your word and by your spirit. And it is our prayer that now you would attend unto us. Father, there are so many loud voices screaming and yelling at us. Telling us true things, telling us false things. We pray for your spirit now to attend on us that we might hear the goodness and the truth of your word. And that in hearing from you, we would see you and we would delight to follow after you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It seems to me uh, that as Americans, uh, we're doers. And we love to do. And we define our lives by the things that we do. It seems to me that one of the first questions that we'll often ask a child is, what do you want to do when you grow up? It's one of the first questions we ask our children. And from that moment on, 
we continue to push and push our children to do more and more and more, and we push one another to do more and more and more. And it's not just in what we will accomplish, but it's even in our leisure. On Monday, we come to work and we ask one another, what'd you do over the weekend? What did you do over the holiday? What are you going to do, right, when you graduate? If the Lord gives you children, uh, one of the things that we tend to do to our children is we force them to do things that they hate uh, so that they can build a nice long resume so that they can get into a big fancy college where they can go and do more things that they don't like so that they can build a resume so that they can go do a job that they're probably not going to like. And all this doing uh, tends to sort of shape the way we view life, and not only life, but also religion. Everything is about doing. What must I do, right, in order to be a good Jew? Uh, What must I do in order to be a good Muslim or Hindu or Mormon, or even what must I do in order to be a good Christian, And even if you're not uh, religious, I would uh, venture that you've asked this question at some point, what must I do, right, in order to secure that good life that I really desire? We're doers. And the rich young ruler in this text, the man in this text, is a doer. And like him, we love to bring our doing to Jesus. Notice it in verse 17. Man ran up and knelt before Jesus and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's an important question, isn't it? It it might be the question. What must I do in order to have that good, beautiful, forever life with God? So Jesus hears the question, and he takes him on this journey. He takes him on a journey to the depth of his heart in order to reveal the impossible nature of his question. What must I do? And as we go on this journey with them, what we see is that Jesus tells us that we must give up our doing and follow him. You must give up your doing and follow him. You must give up your doing and follow him. Would you say that with me? You must give up your doing and follow him. I want you to think about this man with me. Uh, What we know about him is that uh, he's the rich young ruler. And what that means is that he's rich, he's young, and he's a ruler. And uh, this is a man who has everything. He's impressive, Uh, He's the guy that all the girls want to date. He's the guy that all the men want to be friends with. He's probably even the ruler of the local synagogue. And so in our circles, we might call him the rich young elder. Uh, He's the man who teaches the Sunday school classes that everyone wants to attend. He's the man leading uh, the prayer meetings. He's the one who's calling to check up on you just to see if you're okay. He's the one who greets you at the door. He's the one who probably even with joy serves in the nursery. Uh, And he's not just a big deal at the church. Uh, He also seems to be a big deal in the community. He's wealthy. He's respected. 
Uh, He's probably someone who's serving on boards and mentoring children after school. He probably even coaches a soccer team in the city. Uh, He has everything. And he does everything. And worse than that, he's probably a good guy. And uh, even though he's checked all these boxes, I mean, he seems to be worried that he hasn't quite done enough. And so he falls at Jesus' feet and he says, what must I do? What must I do? What is it that I have missed? What's missing in my life? And I think that this is a problem with, for doers uh, because uh, you never know when your doing is done. When is your doing done? If you're a doer, like most of us, uh, you'll never have peace. You'll never have assurance. You'll never have rest. Because the question you'll always be asking is, how much more? Has it been enough? What else do I need to do? This week I was reading uh, an interview with my favorite basketball player, Malcolm Brogdon. And Malcolm plays for the Indianapolis Pacers. And I would say he's probably one of the 20 best players in the league. I think he's probably the best basketball player in the league. He just doesn't have the DNA to be the best in the league. But he's the best basketball player, in my opinion. But anyway, y'all aren't asking that. Uh, And so in this interview, he was asked about what it's like to play in the league. And he said this, uh, the fact of the matter is it's hard. Uh, You've got to keep performing. He said, no matter how good you are, no matter how well you played, you have to go out the next night and you have to do it again. And no matter how good you are, there's always the risk every night that you get hurt. And no matter how good you are, there's always a draft the next year that might bring in someone who might take your place. No matter how good you are, there's always the risk of being, um, you know, uh, transferred or, or sold or whatever they call it in the league. And there's always the pressure. Right in the locker room to be the best, to do more, to work harder, to produce more. And because of this, he says, you have to find something more than your performance to rest in. If you want to make it in the league, you have to find more than your performance to rest in. This is where the rich young ruler is. He's successful, he has everything. He has everything he's ever wanted, but he's asking the question, is it really enough? Because when Jesus came to his town, he saw Jesus, and he saw Jesus interacting with people. He saw Jesus healing people. He listened to Jesus teach. He watched him engage with other people, and he saw in Jesus the man he always longed to be. He saw in Jesus a man who had something that he didn't have. He saw in Jesus a man who knew things that he didn't know. And so before Jesus can get out of town, he runs up to Jesus, he falls at his feet, and he says, verse 17, Good teacher, what must I do? Good teacher, what must I do? And so Jesus takes this question, and he slowly begins to invite him uh, to give up his doing and follow him. To give up his doing and follow him. And that's what Jesus is saying to us. He's saying, you must give up your doing and follow me. You must give up your doing and follow me. Would you say that with me? You must give up your doing and follow me. 
And he begins this interaction by confronting the man's presuppositions. You see this in verse 18. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And what Jesus is saying here is this. He's saying, look, if you want to do good things, and if you want to know good things, if you want to know what is good, you don't need to go look for a teacher. You need to go and look to God. Because here's the point. If you want to understand goodness, you will never understand it until you know the one who is truly good. And this is a subtle point, but I think it's very important because uh, we tend to think that goodness is this abstract list of things that you can do and you can check off. And it's this thing that's out there that God then conforms to and therefore God is good. But God doesn't conform to goodness, right? Goodness conforms to God. Goodness flows from him. Right? Goodness is who he is. And therefore, if we want to know what is good, and if we want to know how to do good and beautiful things, we must first look to the one who is good. We must look to God. I know it's a little abstract, but Jesus steps back from the abstraction, and he gets very particular. He gets practical, and he says, look, you know what's good. Verse 19, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And essentially what Jesus is saying here is, um, you know what God says. He's shown you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly uh, with your God. But religious hearers, right, and religious doers, we, we hear this and we say, yeah, 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 I know, I know, I know, but what else? What else? And I think religious doers like me are people who are always looking for those secret special things that God would require of us. But what the Holy Spirit is doing is he is always moving his people back to what God has already revealed to be good. And so when Jesus, uh, we move on in the New Testament, and when Jesus is asked, what is the law? What is the most important thing? How does Jesus summarize the law? He says, my law is the law of love. Like to love God and to love your neighbor. That's what it's all about. If you want to do good, love God, right? Love your neighbor. And I think that this is important because when we think about the events of the Capitol this week and we look at all the images that we saw and you see the Confederate flag and you see the nooses and uh, you see just among all those symbols these signs that say Jesus saves. You've got to begin to ask the question, is that what Jesus wants from us? Is that what we're supposed to do? When you see the signs of Jesus, we've got to ask this question. What, what is it that he wants us to do? He wants us to be a people of love. When we see the signs, we've got to ask what surrounds these signs. Is it violence and anger and hatred? Is the movement lifting up the sign a movement that is, uh, that is filled with self-righteousness and self-protection? 
lifting up lies and fraud. What is it we're supposed to do? God says, you know what to do. You must look to God. And you must look to Him to see what is good. You must look to Him to see what is love. And when we look at Jesus, what do we see? We see one who gave himself in sacrificial love. We see one who poured himself out for those in need and those who are suffering and those who are forgotten and those who are lost and even those who are wrong. He's one who gave himself in sacrifice by turning the other cheek and one who invites us to with him pray for our enemies. Here's the point. Uh, if you want to do good, uh, you must learn to love like God. And he goes on to say, don't murder, but give life. Don't commit adultery, but be faithful. Right? Don't steal, be generous. And do not bear false witness. And do not defraud others, but tell the truth. See, what Jesus is saying is... Um, what do you need to do? You need, to, you need to give up doing for yourself. You need to give up living out of your own self-sufficiency for your own purposes. You need to give up your doing and follow me. Give up your doing and follow me. Would you say that with me? Give up your doing and follow me. The young man hears this, and in verse 20, he says, I've kept all this from my youth. And notice Jesus' response, verse 21, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And I think this is amazing, right? Jesus looked at this rich young ruler, this, this man who had everything, this man who longed to do all the right things, this man who longed to be good, this man who longed to please God. He looked at him, and he loved him. And he loved him enough to say the really difficult thing. And notice what he says in verse 21. You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. This is a powerful statement from Jesus, because Jesus looks at this man, and he says, there is one thing that is keeping you from me and it's your money and you need to get rid of it so that you can be with me the man can't do it it's sad you see it in verse 22 disheartened by the saying he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions it's a sad moment he he hears what God is saying. He hears the word of Jesus and he goes away sad because he has a great many possessions. He goes away sad because what's happened is that God has revealed the depth of his heart to him and he's revealed to him that he loves his money more than he loves God and his kingdom. And then Jesus makes this amazing statement in verse 23. How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And just so that you don't miss it, he says it again. 
in verse 24, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And when his disciples hear this, notice verse 26, uh, they were exceedingly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? And Jesus says, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Now, uh, I think this is very important for us to come to grips with, because what Jesus is saying here is that it is not only difficult, but it is uh, impossible for a rich man to enter into heaven. And so this makes us ask a question. Is money good or is money bad? That's like asking, is fire good or is fire bad? Like, fire burning down my house, that's bad, right? Fire in a solo stove with marshmallows, very, very good, right? Uh, When we read the Bible, uh, one of the things we see is that at times, uh, riches are the blessing of God. And at times, they are a curse of God. Uh, Riches can be earned, right, in virtuous, moral ways. And riches can be acquired uh, through deception and fraud and through oppression. But the point that Jesus is making here in this text is that money has this unique power to blind us to God. And it has this unique power because it becomes this thing that we are tempted to trust in. And until we really believe that the Father loves us and will protect us and will provide for us, we will always be a people who trust money. Because money makes the promise to us that it will provide. And if money is the thing that is going to give you the life that you long for, you will never look to God. You will always look to money. If money gives life, why would you look to God? And this is important for us to hear because I think many of us choose our vocations and our majors based on the desire to make a lot of money. And if God has given you children, many of us are shepherding our children into high-paying, culturally respectable careers rather than shepherding them towards Jesus and his kingdom. And unless God does something in our hearts, we will find ourselves, just like the rich young ruler, doing good things. Uh, Pastoring a church. Going to church. Loving church. Vacationing in really cool places, building a great reputation. But we will find ourselves missing out and sad and walking away from the kingdom of God. And the reason for this, in the rich young ruler's case, isn't so much that he had money, but his money had him. It had his heart such that he uh, could not let go of it. 
And it, it reminds me of that scene in Meet the Parents when Greg has his backpack and he's getting on the plane and the stewardess is like, hey, I need, your pa- I need your bag. And he says, the only way I would ever let go of my bag would be if you came over here right now and tried to pry it from my dead, lifeless fingers, okay? If you can get it from my kung fu grip, then you can come and have it. Otherwise, step off, right? And I think that's how we think about money, right? Like, you can pry it from my cold, dead fingers. Otherwise, step off. And, and the reality is this, right? And until we die to ourselves, until we die to that vision of the life that we think we deserve, we will never release the kung fu grip. And it seems to me that one of the reasons that our riches often hinder our participation in the kingdom of God is because they actually uh, are the thing we trust in. They're the thing we actually want instead of him. And if we live a life where we can buy whatever we want and have whatever we want and do whatever we want and go wherever we want and then can isolate ourselves from those that we don't want to be around us, then we will never cry out to God and we will never cry out with those who are suffering. Uh, There's an old phrase, right? Uh, Birds of a feather flock together. And is it not true that the rich and the powerful often congregate together and live together and build fences around their neighborhoods together in order to avoid the pain and the hurting and the suffering and the needs of those around And when we isolate ourselves from the suffering of this world, uh, we will never cry out to God for ourselves or for those in need. And we'll never identify with the needs of our neighbors. And we'll never use our resources for the needs of our neighbors. And here's a real question for each of us to ask ourselves is, uh, do you trust in God? Or do you trust your 401k? You can trust other things that keep you away from the kingdom. I mean, beauty and, and health and education and, you know, nationalism or whatever. But there is a unique lie that money loves to tell. And the way it tells it is it invites you over and it pours you a glass of champagne. It lays out the charcuterie plate. It sears the tuna. Then it sears the steak. And it winks at you. And it says, stick with me and I'll take care of you. Money loves to come to us and it makes these promises that if you stay with me, I'll give you security and safety and freedom. And like Pedro... It says, vote for me, and I'll make all your wildest dreams come true. Uh, And uh, and this is why letting go of our money uh, for God's kingdom is so hard, because uh, if you're like me, you live in a constant state of what if. Like, what if this happens? Or what if I want this? Or what if uh, God doesn't give me what I want? And I think, sadly, uh, most of us relate to money the way we relate to a bomb shelter. Uh, Probably never going to need it. But what if we do? 
And so we build it and we fill it up with blankets and cots and food and water and soup, just in case. And we watch it collect dust. And this is why the rich young ruler went away sad, uh, because Jesus is saying this. He's saying, look, if you want to come into the kingdom of God, you've got to give up uh, your backup plan. If you want to come into the kingdom of God, you've got to give up your safety net. He's saying, I will save you or you can't be saved. And this really is what faith is all about. The kingdom of God is a faith transfer. No longer my money. No longer my doing. No longer my success. But you. Right? God will take care of us. Or we won't be taken care of. And this is why faith is such a challenge, because faith isn't just a list of things that we go and do, and, and faith isn't just an ascent of some intellectual ideas. Faith is the transfer of your life to God. Jesus is inviting us to give up our doing so that we might follow him. Give up your doing. And follow him. That's what Jesus is saying. Give up your doing and follow me. Say it with me. Give up your doing and follow me. And I want you to notice what Peter says. Peter has been following along here. He's been watching this conversation. He says, we've left everything and followed you. Right? And Jesus says, it's so lovely. Truly I say to you, there's no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. And Jesus is being so kind here because he, he knows that Peter's afraid. He knows that Peter's left everything and is worried, will you take care of me? And Jesus is saying to him, I know that you've left everything and I will take care of you. And I'll take care of you, not just in this life, but I'll take care of you into heaven. The scary thing about this text is that uh, trusting our riches always leads away from the kingdom of God. Trusting in God, trusting in Jesus, leads to life now in this world and into eternity. And so the real question for all of us this morning is... Uh, Will you follow Jesus? Will you follow him? But why would you? Why would you be willing to give up trusting your stuff and begin trusting in him? Well, come with me to the table and let me tell you why. You know, as we come to the table and we look and we see the bread and the wine, we're reminded of the God that we have. We have a God who loves to feed us. That's one of the things this bread and this wine remind us of. Every week we come to this place and every week God puts bread in our bellies and he puts wine in our mouths. Every week he feeds us. And he feeds us with himself. 
And as we come to this table, we're reminded that our elder brother, Jesus, the creator of the world, the one to whom all things belong, though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. He entered into creation and he gave himself, he gave his life to reconcile himself and to, recon- or to reconcile the world to himself so that he might pour out the blessings of the Father. And so through faith in Jesus, all that is his, he then gives to you. That's what this table is telling you. And this is a long way of getting to the answer, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus in this table say, give up your doing and follow me. Give up your doing and follow me. Would you say that with me one last time? Give up your doing and follow me. Therefore, I invite you to rise and lift up your hearts.